0: Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 75 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me Richard Kutcher. If you were confused by our alternative theme music this week then hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised to learn it was composed and recorded especially for his GCP debut by our guest co-host. Marco Giacomelli, head of the IGP Employee Benefits Network, is on the pod almost a year and a half into his post and primed to explain why he is keen for IGP to take a more active presence in the captive insurance world. So Marco, thank you for the music and welcome on to the Global Captive podcast. Thank you marco great to have you on the pod we actually met for the first time over a year ago i think and uh, but you're well known in the employee benefit space in in captives uh from previous roles and we'll talk a bit about that in a second but it's 16 months since you joined igp as head of the network as we have not had anyone from igp on the pod before can you give us a little bit of background on on the network and its profile
1: Sure. Well, IGP is uh, one of the leading networks in the employee benefit market, so it's been uh, continuously in activity since 1967. I am a relative newcomer to the network, having joined uh, in July 2021. But in a way, I feel it's a bit like a destiny for me to join IGP, because IGP was born in October 1967, and I was born in October 1967. (laughs) So um, it is a network of independent uh, network partners, insurers, local insurers, and um, the network is coordinated uh, by a central unit, which uh, is governed by John Hancock, the U.S. uh, life insurance company. Uh, John Hancock was acquired by Manulife, the Canadian Financial Services Group, uh, in 2012. And as part of the acquisition, therefore, the IGP network now reports uh, directly into Manulife. It is global in the sense that the footprint is uh, quite extensive, uh, over 80 territories around the world, and uh, our network partners are chosen among the leading ones in each local market, again, because we are not uh, uh, constrained by having to work with proprietary partners. Of course, uh, where Manulife is operating in any given territory, we tend to work with Manulife local companies, but uh, in uh, most countries, uh, uh, we operate through independent
0: Great. So tell us a little bit about what appealed to you about joining IGP.
1: Well, uh, certainly IGP has a great reputation in the market for excellence in particular uh, when it comes to providing uh, services to global multinationals uh, in the field of multinational pooling. And uh, therein, I saw the opportunity for further growth and expansion in IGP. IGP for many years was known as a pooling network. Yeah. And one of the key principles that I've tried to embed in the organization since I joined is that, in reality, IGP is a provider of coordinated solutions for multinationals, of which multinational pooling is one of them. In reality, uh, IGP has always been active also in insurance-to-captive programs and more recently also in global underwriting programs. But uh, there was a need uh, to convey this message more clearly to the market and at the same time uh, to revamp certain capabilities uh, internally in order to make our value proposition for the insurance-to-captive and global underwriting programs equally as compelling as the one for multinational.
0: Fantastic. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that kind of not transition, but that greater messaging around uh, captives and the role that you can play and and do have to play in that market and talk a little bit about that in in the second half. But as you said, you do have a long background in international employee benefits going back almost 30 years. Marco, you don't look it, but I'm told almost 30 years. How have you seen the financing of employee benefits evolve during that time and and particularly the role of captives uh, in the sector?
1: Well, uh, when I started in uh, late 1993, uh, early 1994, um, the employee benefits market uh, in terms of uh, coordinated solutions was dominated by multinational pooling. And there were uh, probably three or four reinsurance staccati programs in the whole market. Uh, I was actually managing one of the very first ones for a French multinational, uh, which is a program that's still in place to this date. Uh, so certainly, I, I was there from the very beginning, and. Uh, uh, From whatever I could do, uh, I have tried to uh, contribute to shaping this market into what it is today. Definitely this insurance to captive market has evolved in the sense that historically uh, it was born to manage essentially property and casualty programs and in general, non-life programs. Uh, So many of the lines of risk, many of the metrics surrounding them, many of the reporting tools around them were all designed to accommodate uh, the needs of a property and casualty type of environment. Uh, the diversification into employee benefits is something that uh, came gradually and still to some extent today is a market uh, in, uh, in a continuous state of growth. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, uh, just to give you some numbers, there are about uh, 6,000 captive worldwide. Uh, but in terms of captives actively managing employee benefit programs, there are less than 200 of them. Yeah. So clearly there is uh, a lot of room for growth. And in that 200, I'm including both the what I would call traditional reinsurance-staccounted programs, i.e. the ones underpinned by networks, as well as the loser um, uh, solutions, if you wish, whereby there could be single-country arrangements or specific solutions designed for specific line of risks in certain areas and so on. So the market is certainly growing. There are a lot of opportunities, uh, and there is a a lot of interest in this particular segment.
0: Yeah, I always find it interesting when people touch upon the numbers of captors which are reinsuring international employee benefits because for so long I feel like that number has been 100 forever yes. and uh, maybe maybe seven or eight years ago people were saying 100 there's 100 captors doing international employee benefits and it's interesting you say less than 200 because I imagine it must it must be around the 150 mark yeah. now because yeah. it feels like particularly over the last six or seven years I I increasingly come across uh, large corporates that have just started doing it in the yes. last two or three years. We had Heineken on the podcast um, earlier this year, and they set up a whole separate cap to do internal international employee benefits. We've had Facebook on the podcast a couple of times this year, and they launched their international employee benefits captive just a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I, I, I'm waiting to see a definitive number, but I think you're right. It's got to be in that kind of 150-plus Range now, but the potential is is there for a lot more sure. companies to be doing this. Um, and captives ensuring international employee benefits is becoming more common than ever. But is there, you obviously believe there is a lot more growth to achieve to con- convert people from pooling or international underwriting to the captive concept. How have the drivers or, or motivations changed, do you think, to, to use a captive in this way?
1: Well, what I've observed is that there has to be also a sort of a cultural shift in uh, driving the growth of the employee benefit programs into captives. So uh, traditionally the path was always the same. You would have an existing captive managing a property and casualty program and uh, eventually through maybe a tender or an RFP, this captive might decide to expand their lines of risk and diversify them and add an employee benefit programs. Uh, there were specific uh, both commercial and technical drivers behind it. Uh, some of them uh, um, are uh, quintessentially insurance-related. For instance, uh, the need to optimize your capital absorption. Typically, property and casualty lines tend to absorb more capital than human risks lines. And so, uh, especially since the implementation of uh, Solvency 2 and the fact that many captive jurisdictions uh, seek equivalence in terms of solvency too, then the need to optimize your capital absorption became very strong and therefore add the employee benefits was seen as a good vehicle to optimize that. However, uh, that is also changing because especially recently we are seeing the birth of captives established specifically for the purpose of managing employee benefit plans as opposed to extending. The realm from uh, non life benef- uh, risks into employee benefits. That is definitely a turning point. It shows one confidence that the market has in using captive for employee benefits to the point that you establish a captive specifically for employee benefits. Yes. Number two, the cultural shift that I mentioned, i.e., the fact that risk managers, which are the quintessential stakeholder in the success of the implementation of a captive program, are becoming more comfortable with managing biometric risks. Uh, Some of the metrics uh, that traditionally were used and still are used for property and casualty, such as ultimate loss ratios, uh, such as claim strangulations, and so on, now are being adapted to specifically measuring the profitability of employee benefit lines. And so, effectively, this uh, widened culture around biometric risks and how they can be financed into a captive is what, in my opinion, is an important uh, growth driver that we are seeing.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if we do see more cases of a captive being set up simply for the employee benefits, maybe they add other lines in the future. But it feels like it's a bit of a sea change, the fact that it's, it's the driver of a captive rather than an add-on later on. Well, r has worked with some very high profile captive owners over the past 13 years, and the majority of those companies remain owners of sophisticated captives today. I think that demonstrates that transferring legacy liabilities is all part of the natural life cycle of a captive, don't you think? Yes, that's right Richard. As businesses evolve over time, it makes sense that their insurance needs change and as a result the profile of the captive and its role within the group will change as well. We have worked with captives owned by companies such as AstraZeneca, General Electric, Lufthansa and Unilever who all have sophisticated captive operations and felt the need to restructure or shift their priorities. Offloading a legacy captive or a portfolio of liabilities can often be the most efficient way to repurpose a captive or free up much needed capital for distribution or new lines of business. Thank you, Paul. Well, if you want more information on RQ, then visit their Friend of the Podcast page on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website or follow the links in the episode show notes. So you mentioned at the very start, uh, Marco, that it's fair to recognise that when it comes to the fronting of captives rights into international employee benefits, IGP hasn't traditionally been at the forefront of, of the market and, and clients' minds uh, for that kind of service. I'm, of course, aware that IGP... Did work with captors already since I spoke twice at an IGP conference many years ago. One was at Boston. I, I moderated the captive panel for IGP, and one was in Windsor. Um, I moderated the captive panel. We had people like Lorraine Stack at Marsh and Mark Cook and uh, Alan House at the time. It was at Aon, Karen Landry at, at Spring on those. And so I was aware that you were interested in and had a presence in captives. but as I said, it wasn't really the forefront of, of your proposition. Why was that traditionally the case? Do you think?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, traditionally that was the case uh, on the one hand because uh, IGP's uh, customer base was so strong in a multinational pooling arena that uh, most of the investments and initiatives uh, and commercial strategy was driven into that direction. Second, uh, because uh, I think uh, in terms of maturity of the market, uh, IGP uh, was uh, perhaps uh, uh, waiting for the market to consolidate a little bit uh, rather than being a prime mover. However, what's quite important, and I realized this quickly when I joined, is that IGP, one, was already an active player. Two, from a technical, operational, uh, and commercial infrastructure, it's always been fully equipped to manage an uh, employee benefit captive programs. Uh, The IGP network is underpinned by reinsurance, and therefore the fronting mechanism is uh, natural. And not only that, there are some specific competitive advantages which... uh, we have that none of the other networks have and which, for some reason, were not sufficiently communicated to the market. Uh, One of them, for instance, uh, which is a bit of a holy grail when it comes to employee benefit programs in captives, is the ability to report data by underwriting year as opposed to uh, accounting period. Mm. That is, again, something that many networks have been trying to implement and that has been there in IGP since the very beginning. So that way of reporting facilitates the production of management information, which is very much in line with what a risk manager in a captive is used to seeing in their property and casualty program.
0: So just to clarify that from someone who doesn't necessarily understand all of this as much as probably a lot of our listeners do, when you say underwriting year, that's underwriting year of the of the client, of the captive, rather than accounting year of the client or the or, or accounting so year of the network.
1: That is correct. So essentially this way of reporting allows you to track a whole generation of claims being debited or, or transferred to a captive, as opposed to just tracking the claims that were paid within a given underwriting period. Okay. So you're able to track, therefore, the evolution of the loss ratio by generation of claims and by a corresponding earned premium. And that gives you a very li- reliable view on what is the net loss ratio that the captive is liable for. So you, you, obviously, it's
0: quite apparent that the mindset has changed since you joined the IGP regarding being more proactive and being more on the front foot regarding acquiring captive business or targeting um, captive business. Maybe a quite a crass question, but why are you keen to be seen as a, a good option? Is it because there's, that's where the business is going, because that's the future of international employee benefits? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but why, why do you think it's important that IGP has a role to play here?
1: Well, uh, certainly the numbers support this strategy. Uh, The uh, employee benefit captive segment is the one that's growing the most in the global coordinated employee benefit solutions market. It's a segment that's growing at a real uh, rate, uh, which is a double-digit rate, uh, compared to the multinational pooling segment, which is uh, fairly static, I would say. So, this is growing not only because some existing programs may convert to a captive program, but also because generally there are many corporations that start from scratch by thinking of using their captive for employee benefits. Uh, So the market is growing. We want to be part of this market. We realize now more than ever that we have uh, some unique competitive advantages that we can offer to our customers. And uh, we definitely put uh, our, so to speak, virtual money, let's say, where our mouth is uh, because uh, since January of this year we set up uh, a center of expertise for captives and global underwriting programs. We were the first in the industry to do this. So so it's a dedicated business unit with full accountability for developing these uh, segments and these solutions. And uh, effectively, this has been a bit of a game changer for us. It resonated very well in the market. It's been well-received. And it's, I think, uh, a, a, a tangible testimony of our commitment to this segment.
0: So you definitely think that there are a significant group of uh, clients, whether they're clients of yours or of others who are pooling, but who are 100% good candidates to be at least considering going down the captive route. You see that opportunity for
1: for growth for captives. Yes. And at the same time, we see the opportunity in clients which may not have a pool, but may already have an existing captive program for other lines of risk. And so they are the... Uh, The cultural shift that we were talking earlier in uh, making them aware about what could be the possible benefits of extending their program to employee benefits.
0: So, just lastly, then, uh, Marco, what what do you see as the looking ahead? What do you see as the kind of the biggest challenges and opportunities facing corporates in the in the administration and and operation of their international employee benefits programs today?
1: In terms of challenges, certainly, I think uh, what we are realizing is that uh, we all, as uh, providers, uh, Uh, sit uh, on uh, a very, very large uh, database. Uh, We have uh, an enormous amount of data. We want to make sure that we are able to uh, make uh, a significant contribution to our customers using this data, which means uh, effectively drawing meaningful information that helps them better select the risk, better understand it, better price it, and uh, in turn, therefore, guarantee uh, a sustainability of performance of the captive Now, that, in my view, has uh, resulted into First, a what I would call a generation one type of effort, i.e. Uh, developing sophisticated dashboards, uh, reports, etc., to help clients uh, better understand the data. But that, in my view, uh, and this is what most networks still do today, but that, in my view, is not necessarily a very customer-centric type of approach. Because that is uh, effectively more of a network-centric approach uh, that says, uh, I'm going to design uh, Uh, a set of reports that I believe could be meaningful for you and I'm going to feed them to you and it will uh, help you understand better your risk. I think Generation 2 means uh, find a compliant, uh, technically robust way to allow captives to extract uh, your data directly and then use it uh, in any way they they see fit and generate their own reports. Obviously, there are significant uh, technical challenges, data protection and privacy challenges, but I do believe in the idea of developing sophisticated APIs that allows uh, a captive or a corporation's uh, operating systems to connect directly to the network and have the availability of data in real time.
0: When we've spoken to uh, employee benefits uh, specialists within their organizations recently, it becomes increasingly apparent that one of the real drivers is just delivering way more value to their employees, enhancing their benefits. A captive can give some facilities to help the corporation do that and the, the other area of captives which is we're talking a lot about at the moment separate you know to some degree from employee benefits is ESG yes. and uh, getting a captive to allow and support the group and in all kinds of ESG initiatives now there's, there's obviously an S play for in employee benefits you know sure. employee benefits uh, a good employee benefits program can obviously support uh, diversity equity and inclusion agendas at companies do you do you think that the fronting networks can is there a role for the front-end networks to play there in terms of helping the, the client and the captive kind of communicate the value of some of these programs back to the parent group so they can contribute to however they're measuring and an, analyzing their own kind of de objectives?
1: Absolutely. Whether you look at it in, uh, from a de perspective or an ESG perspective, uh, definitely uh, the role of the front-end network is very important because uh, we are ultimately a channel of information for the corporation so we are able to uh, inform the corporations not only on these risks uh, but also on potential risk management measures that could be undertaken to improve uh, the health and well-being of the population. Uh, we provide the benchmark indicators, for instance, uh, on the I uh, metrics that are meaningful f- for them and uh, for a large corporation may not be immediately accessible without uh, the use of the network. So this synergy between the network that acts. Uh, as uh, the primary vehicle to transfer this information, the CATIV which acts uh, as a channel and consolidator, and then the parent company which ultimately sets the strategy, see the outcome of the strategy is fundamental. In essence, uh, without perhaps even planning for it, uh, you create uh, an ecosystem of partners that are all connected uh, into delivering this type of insight. And we see it uh, primarily in de and and certainly one of the very recent uh, trends uh, is the importance of mental health uh, and uh, how we can contribute uh, to positively influence those outcomes. But we also see it in ESG, for instance, in analyzing claims experience by diagnostic class or benefit category, and you are able to uh, understand through those drivers uh, which are the threats to the sustainability of a company.
0: Fantastic, Marco. It's been an absolute pleasure to finally have you on the Global Captive podcast.
1: Thank you so much my pleasure is